Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Death, Taxes and Disappointing Sex podcast. And on the podcast today, we have the king of disappointing sex himself, Louis Pavian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't, I can't confirm that personally, but you know, I've heard the rumours. Wow, what an opening. <laughs> I, I agree to this out of the goodness of my heart and you just served me with that. <laughs> Wow. That, that was is, spontaneous that as well. That's, that's even... pure fiction, just to let everyone know. I didn't even plan that. Oh, I didn't say the disappointing sex was your fault. Maybe <laughs> you've just experienced a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll glaze over that, so Charlotte. Yeah, so <laughs> I know Louis from Mac Nutrition. We first met at our interview day. Louis was the first person that I met at that interview day, actually. Um, we have some fun stories about that. <laughs> <laughs> which i'm yeah. not sure if we can tell can we tell those we can tell those um we'll go into bit. so hello louis it's nice to have you well thanks for having me on for that wonderful <laughs> wonderful introduction um there is more to me than that not, that isn't even a part of me so like <laughs> why, why am i even saying that louis but, um, you basically just told the people that you don't ever get laid that's not even part of your life no, no comment we're not going into that charlotte <laughs> okay, isolation okay. is tough okay <laughs> <It's> tough. <laughs> oh dear um so let's start off with an easy one tell me a bit about your background interesting things that we might not know about mr Padian. so hmm, where to begin um a lot of stuff people probably already know about me um I used to be a rugby player, and that was probably my main thing growing up, that I, I was very good at rugby, and um, it opened a lot of doors for me, and I loved it. Um, and then uh, ended up getting a scholarship to a private school for it, playing a lot of international underage stuff. Um, and then I got a full-time contract out of school at Worcester Warriors for two years where I was a full-time rugby player and did well there um got in called up to the first team um and my first session um my boot snapped under the pressure of a scrum and uh hyperextended like tore the tendon in my big toe and wasn't able to really run or walk on it or scrummage really for the next or like properly for the next six seven months um, oh, ouch that was a bad first session yeah like so what happened there was lots of injuries for me to get called up so i'm not saying like but i was playing well at the time as well so i was playing for the second team in what they call the a league on a monday night and the first team coach was watching and he called he pulled me over to the side after the game he hadn't really spoke to me before i don't think and was just like good news is you played really well tonight like and i'd played quite a few games for the a league at that point um played like four games and stuff and I was playing on Saturday for my loan club which would have been Birmingham Sully Hull at the time maybe um and then oh no I wasn't even on loan at that point I was just training full-time and then so he said good news you played really well tonight bad news is you're in at nine o'clock the first team tomorrow which is like you're getting called for the first team That's cool. so um I was like fuck what the fuck's going on like I mind blown a little bit um so I attempted the session I think I played like 75 minutes on the Monday night. So I turned up to train on Tuesday. And I remember some of the first team players because I was basically on the first team schedule then instead of the academy schedule. So basically just gone 
argue with them from now on. And if I did well, then potentially would have got a first team contract out of it. Um, but um, I remember one of the first team players, Chris Forty, who's like a legend of the game, brilliant bloke as well. I was just like, take it easy, Louis. You played like a full game last night. Like, really, I shouldn't be training, but I'm not going to not train for my first session with the first team um, because I don't want to be like, you've got to prove a point and you that machism comes through that you're like oh i can i can play every day sort of thing and like i don't need recovery days um and i just remember like on the we're doing a three-man scrum on a single-man sled which is like a scrum machine but there's only two pads so just one person hits the machine but i had two people behind me and there are quite a few people on the machine as well and um we were just practicing like dipping and then driving through the scrum getting that coordination stuff and um just as as we dipped because it was an indoor pitch so there wasn't much giving your studs usually i think on a normal pitch my studs would have torn away but because it was an indoor pitch they just stuck and basically the metal plate in my boot broke and Ooh. the stud sort of shot up as well so it like bruised the bone in the bottom of my foot and tore the tendon at the same time I sort of roll over and was like, I think I'm just dislocate. Like I knew something was wrong. I was like, I think I'm just dislocate my toe. So I ran into the physio room, took my boot off, and there wasn't any evidence of like anything that was wrong. It just felt really odd. Mm. I was like, what's what's happened here? So I ran back over and I was like, oh god, I'm so embarrassing. Just like I just made a big deal out of nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then throughout the rest of the day, I was just like, something's not right. And it started to get more and more painful. And the next day, it turned out my foot was completely black, just from bleeding in it. Oh. And um, they were like, we've never really seen anything like this. But it's apparently quite common in the NFL because they use a lot of um, artificial pitches. And um, it's called turf toe. So basically just like hyperextension, the big toe, um, which doesn't sound much, but that's where your power comes from when you run and where you push through. So... Um, yeah, that was that was the end of that. Really, at the end of the season, got sort of t- had a discussion with me um, that I wasn't required for next season. I wouldn't be getting a contract, and I, I just I think it was like just before my injury, an agent had got in contact with me at the time as well. And was just like, do you want to sign up with me, and I'll sort of do contract negotiation for you. And I was like, oh yeah, sweet, because he wasn't really asking for a huge amount. He seemed like a really decent bloke as well, and I knew he was like a former. He was a friend of a lot of for, uh, current players. So I could have a chat with them about him. And then, um, yeah, just basically he was, I signed up to him and I never, I never got a contract at all. Oh. I was with, um, I had to, I was going to, I was going to attempt to sue the boot company as well because they were very new boots. Um, but the club didn't really like, or my agent, one of them were like, this isn't a good look for us. Don't do that. Yeah. So I had to settle for an agreement where I wouldn't say anything or name them. And I got like, and at the time it was like, I got free boots for like the next couple of years from them. Um, mm, that's not really like a, a good thing yeah. of like, this this boot ruined your foot. Here's six more yeah. pairs. And it's a big, it's a big brand as well. Um, oh, really? But um, yeah, it was that was that was an interesting time and then um i was going to go around down into the championship with the second tier had a few discussions with clubs down there but nothing came to fruition and then um ended up going to loughborough university because um they'd come around to the club after finding out a lot of the academy players were getting dropped 
Loughborough University students, the only team university team at the time, so there's Hartbury now, where you can study at university and play in the men's leagues on a Saturday as part of the mm -hmm. university. Yeah. Um, like a semi-professional league or a professional league. Some of the teams were professional. Um, so it was like a shop window for me for a year or two. I saw it as a, I'll do a degree potentially and it'll just advertise me in the shop window to hopefully get a contract in a year or two's time, which a lot of players have done. Like some of the lads I've played at uni now have played for England, have gone into England sevens, um, playing the premiership and stuff and doing really well. And it's, and it's a great platform for them. So how old were you? Because you were a mature student, weren't you, when you went to Loughborough or more mature? You weren't 18. No, I was 20 when I started uni. Okay, um, so you still weren't two. super old. No, so um, I felt old though, um, because there's, there's a there's a big difference between eighteen and twenty. Yes, even though there really is. Now, um, and because even though I was on, I was on barely anything as a rugby player. Even though I was contracted as a professional, it wasn't that was my full time job. Like it wasn't it wasn't a huge. It was a terrible amount of money, if anything. But I was grateful. I was grateful to be a rugby player. Um, but then to turn up at uni, I trained more at university than I did as a professional rugby player. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insane. So like, so like the sessions we'd pull, we'd, yeah, so like there'd just be like more analysis sessions, more team sessions, a lot more gym sessions together. And if I calculate it all up, I was probably training more as a, as a, student than I was as a full-time rugby player at times. I think that says a lot about Loughborough University as a whole because mm. even like even when I was triathloning there I trained so much it was untrue and there's like training mm. sessions every single day like multiple times a day it was mental. Um, do you think that being involved with sport kind of made you mature faster and made you grow up faster? I think with I, I feel as in with rugby because that's my only experience that I have really I feel that you there's elements of it that you have to man up um at, at a young age especially I mean my position as a front rower is quite a mature position anyway so a lot of players who in my position usually have the longest shelf life so you'll see players in my position playing on to the like mid to late 30s quite often full-time professional playing international and stuff when if you go out to like a winger or a scrum half usually the shelf life's a bit shorter on them because of the what the position requires yeah so those positions are yeah it's just so like <laughs> it's um it's Rebuilt. i felt like yeah so as well i found that um i was quite lucky in in the front row i find because it's a lot of older heads they don't really there's not a huge amount of like threat of me taking that position because it's a lot of experience takes to be in a good loose set proper attire prop um so mixing i feel like you're a bit maybe you've got to have a bit more of a mature head on you to be in those positions as well potentially okay. um yeah and like you, you i was around men quite a lot so it was like a very man manly sport in a way and like the humor is very immature obviously as a rugby player yeah. but yeah. um you you are just around men all the time and it's not a very usual working environment so it's yeah it I think I did come in with a bit of a mature head after two years especially because you've had that taste well I had a taste of being a rugby player and I 
if I'm all completely honest, I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I'm sort of glad the way things turned out the way they have at the moment. Um, but you see what almost like the real, not even the real world, but having a job, what that's like. And you come back to being a student, you're a bit like, oh, this is quite casual, quite easy. And mm-hmm. like, there's, you don't, you don't have the pressures and strain, which I found as rugby player, it was really draining just because of the constant pressure of like, being judged on your performance constantly on all aspects of your performance I found that really draining so when you say like you didn't particularly enjoy it is it because of that that pressure that that you felt yeah I felt like there was never a comfortable position at all you were always one step away of being dropped or being binned and I feel like potentially that just might have been at the rugby club I was at which um or we had a quite a large academy so there's probably about 30 of us sometimes training together when other academies are a lot smaller and they are part of the first team which they move that's what they moved to when they sort of cut the academy down massively the last who stayed on the academy actually became part of the first team which was better for them i think um when we were like a separate entity we had a separate schedule we did our own thing and then occasionally if the first team needed extra body, some of us would get called up to do things or like get called on a Saturday to train with the non, non-playing non squad at the weekend sort of thing to train with them, to make up numbers and hold tackle shields. What's now referred to as the Bin Juice team. Oh, yeah. So oh, no, no, it's, it's like a, it's a really good thing. If you're on Instagram, follow it. It's called Team Bin Juice. And it's just like very funny, sort of like when you're in a rugby team, but not quite good enough to be in the first team, you're like chief tackle holder tackle shield holder and stuff like that it's just loads of things um but yeah like you just get hammered and get abused all all season but yeah like it's it takes a massive toll mentally and physically on your body and i've seen a lot of players retire um since i've left the game or like even when i was still part of it at like a lower level um a lot of players come out in bad ways i've seen a lot of players do really well but physically I'm sort of, I'm really grateful what rugby gave me, but I'm glad I stepped away when I did because I I have like long-term sort of injuries and niggles from rugby that are probably only going to get worse as I get older. Yeah, like your uh, dodgy peck. Like my dodgy peck, like my bad back, like my dodgy finger, like my bad foot. Um, there's Pretty there's much so every many. part of your body that has something slightly wrong with it yeah it's but like it did so much for me as well so it got me into Loughborough and I have no hesitation saying that that um Loughborough got me in on a course I applied like mid-July and they were like oh speak to this person and you're starting pre-season the first of August with us and we'll we'll sort it out from there and it's like like a ride into Loughborough yeah and like rugby did massive things to me so um for when i played england 16 so i'd played rugby since i was five years old i played lots of team sports growing up like basketball football rugby cricket did a little bit of judo did a little bit of hockey at school gaelic football hurling just a bit of everything um and then came to about 14 and they were like mm, you've got to start making decisions now on like what you want to do like what you want to be because we think you've got a chance so when I ended up playing for England 16s, I was like one or one of two potentially out of two squads who didn't go to a private school. So I went to a normal state school. 
my school didn't have any playing fields or anything like that. It was completely like concrete uh, in a city of Birmingham. And I just played rugby on a Sunday and played like county and stuff. But I didn't go to a rugby playing school, which um, was quite rare. I think there was only one or two other people maybe that did that. But then as soon as I played England 16s, the next year for sixth form, I had private schools over the country. I, I got into the second tier England squad as well. So I got into England 16A. Um, and I had calls from private schools were just like, we're looking for a loose head prop next year. Does your son want to come here? Like, we'll sort everything out. Wow. And that's like, I went to Bronzegrove School and I got a very, very good, generous scholarship from them. Um, and like the fees there are ridiculous. And But I also had the benefit of my, in, the head of rugby there was Paul Mullen. He's an absolute legend. Um, but his son, Matt Mullen, played for England and was playing for England at the time, was Worcester first team. And Matt would come down once a week and do private scrimmaging sessions with me. Um, and he was like a phenomenal athlete in general just a freak for like such a he wasn't particularly like huge bloke he was only about six foot and about 100 kilos but he was an absolute machine and athlete so i had private sessions from him but his dad in um, paul was head of or like one of the coaches for england under 18s so he knew what standard i had to get to to get to england 18s next year yeah. um and i was it was that year so because the ages change from or the selection years change it goes from uh september to september to january to january i was age trapped so i only got one year at 18 so i had to make it that first year or i wouldn't get it when i've heard, that. I was... I've heard that happening i was gonna say i've heard that happen in so many different sports as well where they change the age brackets and some like some certain months of people that are born in certain months get massively screwed over by it yeah and like it's, it's it is what it is because like if somebody's bought in um august they're like young for their year but then when it goes to january to january there's if like an extra third of a year that they're like oh I'm, I'm actually more mature than them but turning up as like a 16 year old with lads who are nearly 18 there's a lot of development that happens in those years physically yes. um so i was second choice for one of the england under 18 squads um the lad in front of me has racked up so many appearances for wasps now and he's like a good bloke called Simon McIntyre was a good prop but he was like him and Will Collier who's played for Quinns and got a couple of hundred maybe a hundred appearances for Quinns now um they were just like developed at that age and like me and Chris Fox who were both at Bromsgrove school weren't particularly like strong we were just decent rugby players quite fit but these were like men and we were like pretty much boys um so yeah, it like that happened, and then because I played England sixteens, uh, it opened the door to get into England eighteens. Really, then I played eighteens, and the next year within within this is the one thing that people might not know. Within um, it must have been six or probably within eight months, I played for England and Ireland in rugby. Um, That's crazy. So yeah, so the Easter. It came with my stories today. I played with um, a picture with Joe Launchbury because he was in my squad. Um, and he, so I played Easter, I played for England. But then there wasn't a, and the, the next jump was under 20s. And that would have been a huge jump for me. And I wasn't going to make that. Um, and then um, I sort of got asked, somebody approached me from Irish Exiles and was like, would you consider playing for Ireland? And I was like, yes, 
like all my grandparents were Irish. I played like Gaelic football and hurling growing up, and um, Irish heritage like it means a lot to me. Um, and then I got flown over to Ireland to like train and play and played for Ireland in the 19s against France and against Australia. Wow. I think, mm. I feel like I knew that, but I didn't quite realise how big a part of your life it was. I feel like it, I thought I'd, yeah, I think I thought that you just sort of one Saturday rocked up and they were like, do you want to play? And you're like, yeah, cool. And then that was it. But yeah, no, that was obviously a much bigger part of your life. How, <laughs> how did you find that? Because um, didn't you play for England 23s as well? No. Uh, Ireland, Ireland, the 19s would have been my last international year. Oh. Um, and then it would have went, I was at Worcester then for two years. And then Loughborough and then after after that i left after a year because i didn't really get on the head coach had a discussion in the season about like because i was that's when i ruptured my pecs i was out for so long as well oh yeah um and then i played i got a bucks gold medal in the trophy i played back row which is like a totally different position i came back in a totally different position and played for like the second team mm-hmm. um which was like a big thing for me um played at Saracens ground and kind of who played I played against the Bristol Bristol University because their number eight had played for Kenya sevens and Kenya sevens at the time were like shit hot they won like the world they won a few like world series events and they're just athletes but the big athletes like six or six foot five and I was playing back row which is a lot more mobile um and he was like picking off the base of the scrum and I was like I'm not gonna get anywhere near him he's just gone he's gone I was like that's my <laughs> Rob off the scrum is like, and he's gone. But um, won that, so I got a medal. I've got a books medal somewhere at home. And then, um, yeah, just a few injuries. I, I loved rugby, but um, sort of glad the way things had turned out. Yeah, so how did you find Loughborough rugby compared to professional rugby um, in terms of kind of like the culture and the lad culture? And we all know what university rugby teams are like initiations yeah. socials you've got a smirk uh, um, on your face um i enjoyed it but then because i stepped away after the first year to go and sort of one of my main issues of two main issues one was when i was injured well before i was injured three main issues actually before i was injured they got a player in on a loan who had played for um england called kieran brooks really good player from Leicester, he was at Leicester Tigers, full-time professional, and he played like England at 19, so he played senior England rugby at like 19, 20 years old, absolute mutant of a bloke, lovely bloke as well, but um, I was playing for the first team, doing really well, and the coach when we decided one week and was just like, so, just to let you know, we've got a chance of getting Kieran Brooks in on loan, this was on like a Tuesday, um, from Leicester Tigers, and um well, I find out tomorrow or Thursday, but if that happens, you're going to be dropped to the Bucks ones. And I was like, oh, I didn't realise I wasn't playing very well. Um, like, what, what do I need to improve on? They're like, no, no, you're playing really well. I was like, oh, so why is he being brought in? And it was basically, we had some lads who were playing, it was to keep lesser Tigers happy, I think, or like yeah. they'd got the opportunity to work in on a get a good player in who... Um, was a very good play. He played in rugby already at this point, but he'd come back from a broken ankle. And it wasn't his fault, but um, I didn't like the way the coach dealt with that. 
Um, and I had to teach them all the line-out moves on the Thursday game on Saturday, which was painful for me. Here you um, go, here's how to do my job. Off you go. Yeah. Um, and like, he, he, he's a good player. And so that happened. And then when I was injured, coach didn't really want to talk to me, didn't want to know me. And then pulled me in for end of season reviews and was like, so we're going to discuss next season. Um, and also the fact that as a student, we all know that like finances are quite tight. And playing in the third tier of rugby, some teams are full professional in that league and some were semi-professional, but could you could live off that wage quite easily. Mm. And I didn't agree that as students, I know we're not allowed to be paid, but some of these lads were working like night shifts before training sessions to just make ends meet. And yet there's a lot of money going into the Loughborough Students rugby team. Yes, and there is a lot of money that goes into it. The players don't see any of it. And I'm not saying that, like, oh, we should be balling. I'm just saying, like, support the players so that they don't have to pay for kit through books, that they don't have to pay for their gym membership for the year, even though it's reduced. That's a lot of money at the time in one go, um, that they get accommodation provided for them for the year as part of the team uh, or, like, for a certain amount of time while you're in it. And I just didn't agree with that aspect that we were playing in a pretty much professional league or semi professional league and we're having to pay for the pleasures to do it um whilst other people like money going into the club and where was it going so um i ended up leaving at the end of that year so social wise i didn't really i integrated my first year and then after that i sort of stepped away a little bit i wasn't as integrated as some people are like there's people who once they've left they come back and everyone sort of they're welcome into the rugby community with open arms. People would know who I am because I only played not even half a year there. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends through the rugby team. But when I was in it, um, as as a rugby player, when I was at Worcester, I didn't really drink at all. And if I did, it would have been once every couple of months. And um, that would have been it, really, a couple of times a year. Alcohol is a big part of the university experience through <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, from what I've seen. I remember yeah. like one of the first times I encountered the rugby team and they were running back up the road past Sainsbury's having like in women's swimwear covered in yeah. fairy liquid and soap bubbles. And I think they'd just been and jumped in the canal. Bearing in mind, this was like September, October. And that's kind of my first encounter with Luffer Rugby. And I was like, ah, I know who those people are. Yeah. And like it is, it's a really good community. Um, I've got a lot of good friends who I've met through it, and um, really good lads in there. And it's just you get kind of a status on campus for it if you're playing for the rugby team. This sounds cringy, but people are sort of know who you are in a way. Like yeah. they sort of they come to it's a big event on a Saturday when the rugby team playing. Like a couple of hundred people can watch on campus. I used to go uh, watch all the time. Yeah, and it's like a good spectacle because it's, especially now they've got the 4G pitch in there, then it's like a good version of rugby. It's not like slow, it's quite exciting. Mm. Um, but then like the social element is a big part of it as well. And as I was, because I was at the college across the road, which a lot of the rugby players were or had come through the college, I'd um, assume, well, I'd become social sec for my halls and that was the college halls, which weren't integrated at the time. So I actually spent a lot of time socialising with college people as well on my course. 
rather than the rugby team sometimes, um, which like I don't regret because I was a social sec for my halls and I made massive, I feel like I made lots of progress with making connections between the university and the college because there was a lot of, there was there were two different entities at the time and we were the first board that we had in the halls. So I had to organise Freshers Week for the second, for my second year and stuff, um, organising social events, which I really enjoyed. But I sort of, when I was, when I was injured, I spent a lot more time with the college lot, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but had a lot of really good friends in the rugby team and in the rugby setup, and would integrate with them every now and then. And got initiated in February, which was cold, and I, I was genuinely worried for my safety with the amount of alcohol I consumed at my initiation. I, I like that was one of the times where I was like, I need to make myself sick because this is this is dangerous. Can you tell us about that? I don't know. I like. I'm sure I can. I don't know if anybody, any of them, will listen to this. And if they do, then they'll be like, "Yeah, that actually happened." Um, <laughs> I, I got it. Um, so remember the two rugby players you signed up for M and U? I do. Yeah, I know who they I, are. I got initiated with one of them. Oh wow! Um, and he's a he's a good lad, solid player, and he ate a whole onion, like off the I remember bat. you telling me this story. I didn't realize it was him yeah uh, so um yeah there was like eating insects a lot of nudity um alcohol wise would have been like a bottle of rosé um a three litre bottle of frosted jacks four pints of milk cottage cheese and then between us, a few of us at the end, there was like a bottle of vodka between us all like straight. Um, and at that point, like when I was drinking the milk, I was squeezing it in to try and make myself throw it because I was like, oh, I've had a lot here. But yeah, there's lots more details to that, but I won't go into those. But that's the, you could tell why I was worried um, yeah. with the amount of alcohol there. And because it was in such a short amount of time, and I was like, I haven't really been sick yet. I was like, this, this is, yeah, this worrying. This is not safe. Yeah. So, um, but it was one of those things, like it was, because it didn't happen until February. Um, a lot of, there was a massive build up to it. It was meant to be earlier in the year and it sort of got pushed back and pushed back. And then before it, you're a bit like, I don't understand why we have to do these stupid initiations. Like, why? But then once you've gone through it, you I think. It. I understand it a bit more um and I probably it's, it's it sounds a bit it is yeah it's a bit primal in the way of like it's a rite of passage um but yeah like that happened and um university was fun yes the stories you told me it sounded fun <laughs> so how so how do you go from an undergraduate in sports you did undergraduate in sports science didn't you yeah um playing rugby to working at my nutrition or to like meeting me on an interview day how what happened in between those two things so um i'd been in a relationship for a couple of years and after university didn't really know what to do like i i sort of had a feeling i wanted to go and do a master's in nutrition because i'd really enjoyed those modules and um was quite good at aspects of it and then so I did my PT qualification um had some pretty cool jobs actually those summers um so I worked 
at a camping stall at music festivals, which was class. So I used to like, I just go to all the big music festivals and the people I was with were quite like rock and like a bit different. So there are what they liked were totally different to me. So they were happy to work during like James Bay, George Ezra and stuff like that. And I'd be like, I'm going to go see these people. And I've got to see all the artists and I got paid to do it. And it was amazing. But um, I did my PT qualification, started working at David Lloyd. And then uh, the girl I was seeing at the time, um, she was from Leeds. And one of her family friends who I'd heard a lot about um, was a dietitian and head of the, the nutritioning practice course at Leeds Beckett. And I got talking to her at a family party and she was like, you need to go on my course next year. I was like, mm, I, I'm playing with it. She was like, apply, but like, I think you'll love it. So I thought about it and then um, applied, got into Leeds Beckett. Um, I enjoyed PTing, but there was like issues in house. I keep saying there's like issues with people and I'm not a person who has lots of issues with people. I just want You're to clarify. Really not. Um, but um, yeah, so I didn't transfer in. I asked to transfer in house to David Lloyd, but um there was miscommunications and some of it was quite out of order. So I, I decided not to pursue that and ended up working at Holland and Barrett as an assistant manager to a store up in Leeds while I was doing my master's in nutrition and practice. And I think I started to come across Martin at that point. Um, and the reason I did my master's up there, one, because Helen White, who's the head of the course, and she's an absolute legend of a person. Um, she's very similar to like Sarah Fuller. Mm-hmm. got amazing clinical practitioner skills yeah. knows her inside out but he's very sort of laid back and sort of super macro- direct yeah and like she was brilliant i loved my lectures with helen um had some had ursula as a lecturer as well which was really interesting and then and um, i did that part-time for two years i could have done that any really in a year because it was a master's i didn't realize how part-time a master's was initially anyway yes yeah yes. um so i was like one lecture a week for so long um and then yeah did my master's up there um the reason i did it was because it was afn accredited at the time so it's like that sort of gives me a bit more authority and then towards the end of that i think i was working as part of the weight management scheme towards the end of my second year um and wasn't really happy up in Leeds. That that relationship had come to an end at that point as well. Mm. So um, I didn't re- like. I wasn't really doing a huge amount of in lectures. So I didn't really need to be there a huge amount. So I just decided to move home to Worcester. So I was commute or to Malvern, which is the other side of Worcester, and I was commuting one day a week, and it's taking about four hours each way potentially, maybe a bit oh, longer. That's um, so I would leave the house at half four in the morning sometimes, and drive up and then go do work in Weatherspoon for like two, three hours until my lecture, have a two, two hour lecture, three hour lecture, and then drive back. And I'd do that. Um, which like for actual me getting loads of work done, that was amazing because I turned up that lecture and I was like, I'm going to make it worth my while. Um, but yeah, so I moved home and then I'd been, so when has it been? It would have been, at the start of my second year of my master's that relationship fell apart Mm. um which was a big turning point for me because I was 
I realised that I didn't really know what I wanted. I'd sort of gone along with things to make keep her happy, and that's not her fault. That's just the way I was, and that's the way it sort of happened. Um, so I hit a real low point after that, and um, I'd had some before we broke up. I had some discussions about potentially wanting to do MNU after my masters, and um, she wasn't very supportive in those comments. Um, in she was like, why, why aren't you going to get a job? And I was like, well, this is in my, in our um, career, you're always going to be doing further learning and doing more courses and just yeah, up, get this. Yeah. And so I was like, well, it, I know it's not, I don't need to, but I want to, to become a better practitioner. Um, so I've been following Martin in two years at this point and she wasn't very supportive. And then it ended up falling apart. So when my next student loan came in, which was probably within the next month after that breakup, and I was still in a pretty down place, I just bought a year's worth of subscription to the mentoring lab um, as a, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to commit to. And was in the mentoring lab for seven, eight months before we went there full time, potentially. Um, and sort of through that, um, I think Martin and Sarah um could got to know a bit more about me through that as well like my interaction in the lab but also um saw that I'd sort of believed in the course or the, the company as a whole so um yeah it was a bit of a that I always say like that relationship was probably one of the best ending of that relationship even at the time it was horrible it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because of all the events that triggered from it I wouldn't be where I am today without all those things happening yeah yeah I think that's true yeah, on our interview day, where as soon as you were like, oh, I'm in the mentoring lab, I was like, well, he's getting the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I might as well just go home. And like when we got asked about some of those questions for the practice, the mentoring lab thing, I remember seeing some of those questions in the lab. Did um, they specifically tell you not to go into the lab to look for the answers? They took me off it. Oh, did they? they took, yeah, Arch came in and was just like, just for this you, you've been removed from the mentoring lab for the rest of the day sort of thing to uh, check you can't sort of cheat I was like that's fair enough um yeah so I had, had an idea about like how things were answered in there um I was quite uh, engaged at points but then other times like you know for a month or two I wouldn't really go in there yeah. um but knew it was like a very valuable resource and yeah like interview day obviously but to you into some other familiar faces and um yeah bananas ate loads of sugar yeah so that's (laughs) That's a whole different story one we can't really tell on this podcast (laughs) but if people want to know about it they can just dm me and i'll tell them yeah wait until (laughs) louis drunk at the next mac nutrition conference and (laughs) all will be revealed just just i'll facetime you and tell you don't worry about it (laughs) So yeah, slide into Louis' DMs. So we had a great yeah. time at My Nutrition. Mm. I we still, did. We really did. I still think about Egypt and that really, really terrible um, night out that we went on with the minibus where I was like, we're going to die. 100% we're going to die. And like, I don't think either of us were that sociable before. No. So like, Matt Nutrition, like... It wasn't forced social like socializing, but like there's big events quite quite frequently and like really good people there. So 
you make an effort to go and socialize with people and get out your shell a bit more and yeah it's like so many good things i've taken away from it and so many things now that like i look back on it's like that's because of Martin and Sarah and Billy and Amy and everyone else in the office. It's just that they're things that I do now. I'm like, right, I need to do this because I know that makes me better. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of things that it wasn't about potentially becoming, well, I think we, we learned a lot more theoretical stuff about being practitioners and like helping others become better practitioners. But I think life skills, I learned a huge amount there just in general or like conversation and being able to read people and things like that. Like, like one of the things I think I learned was how to ask questions. Mm. <laughs> Mostly because Martin or Stanley go ask me the question until you actually ask him a direct question. If you come to him with a kind of like roundabout story sort of thing. <laughs> yes. Mm. Um, so another question I have for you is like, how do you think your life, life has changed and how do you think you as a person has changed? over the past couple of years because I think it's been a really dynamic couple of years for both of us yeah like I think from that relationship I think it was a massive turning point for me um just in general um I think I've always been quite a emotional person in general and then as it probably I probably suppressed that for quite a few years through university and like rugby and stuff like that because I don't remember being particularly emotional um it was very sort of process focused of like on to the next job but then after that I think I really did start to open up a bit more to a lot more people become a lot more open in general about things um and like instead of just saying like I when I was in that relationship my mum probably had to hassle me a little bit to get me to call home every now and then and mm-hmm. it would be like it would seem like an effort at the time like at uni I remember um my dad always gave me like a nudge and be like make sure you call home because your mum does worry and now like ever since that because I was at home and I was in such a bad way for so long like I think they were scared to leave me for quite a while by myself um because I just had random outbursts of just like breaking down in tears and stuff and then um after that I sort of went through like a transition of like right I've sort of meandered through life a little bit what what do I want and what do I what are my values which I didn't really realize at the time what I'd done but what do I what do I want my life to look like and what do I value and that's something that I probably preach a lot about to my clients and online at the moment is like goals values and lifestyle are really important to me and getting making sure those sort of align in some way um yeah i think i've i've recently as well i've started reminding myself to tell people that i appreciate them a lot more um i think that's really important and i or even like if someone puts out a really good post on instagram just saying like i really appreciate this and like all the work you do um because like you mean it but also that could like turn that person's day around massively and just reminding them that like keep doing what you're doing kind of thing um but yeah it's like so much has changed like i i feel that i have a bit more direction with what i want to do i feel Mm -hmm. that i feel like my i've got an opinion that people respect and like they respect what i have to say and my viewpoint and stance on things which 
isn't a like ego thing but it just means that the things i believe and value are relevant or meaningful to a lot of people so therefore i should talk about it a lot more i think simon from uh, iron paradise fitness when he after the COVID weekend said to me he's like man you should do some more like i want, want you on my podcast and i was like yeah like I've, I've been playing with it my idea because i think i've been trying to get like what do i want to talk about what what's my thing and what what do i want to sort of nail down as my sort of relevant subject and he said to me it's like if you don't then you're you're let, not letting down but it's a disservice to other people not to share your thoughts and feelings because yeah. and i and that means a lot to me and like i've had some amazing feedback the last couple of weeks and had someone about our live uh last week was like when are you next going live because i really like the way you two talk and like i couldn't have imagined people saying that a year or two ago how's the imposter syndrome treating you <laughs> yeah like it i do wonder sometimes just like when's it all gonna fall apart in a way yeah. um when are people gonna I've... realize that i'm i'm just louis <laughs> yeah and like i think at times people can put us on pedestals with regards to they know everything and i don't know everything and like i don't know everything about nutrition and there's areas of nutrition that i'm not particularly well read on or don't have a huge amount of physiological understanding which makes me more encourages me more to stay in my lane a little bit and i'm i'm really good with people and i and I don't say that in an arrogant way. I think that's just like the way I'm, way I am. I work well bouncing off people, helping motivate them, picking, um, helping pick people up and helping them find solutions to their problems. And I think that's a skill in itself. And that doesn't have to be, that doesn't mean that I'm not a nutritionist. It just means that I work with people on nutrition, but I'm really good at helping them sort of get other stuff together as well. Like some of them have just, will just unload on me and I'm just like sweet so what can we do with this yeah and um I think I've done a lot of learning and growing and sort of trusted that I am that what I have to say is is relevant and that I do know my stuff a little bit so that's probably something that's changed that I'm I'm feeling a bit less of an imposter in the last two years than I would have before I feel like I learned a huge amount through Martin Seren Billy in particular um my time in malnutrition yourself as well and then like now I've gone down a whole different route which I'm finding really interesting in the last nine months or so with the media that I love because like the, the community that I'm surrounded by the people as well as like people in malnutrition but there's a real element element of like good people doing good things which I love and being surrounded by people like that just means a huge amount to me because it means that we're doing good things and people are going to benefit and I probably at times it does like it's just real nice feeling to be doing something good yeah I completely agree with that it's nice to be able to help people mm. I really enjoy that and I completely agree with the thing that I think it's something that Martin says, like, if you love it, you do it for free. Mm. And yeah, I do love it. And I can tell that you love it as well. Um, what do you have, like one piece of sort of life advice for people or two pieces? Like, I'm not going to count, but yeah, just <laughs> general 
general life advice for people that I don't know just are worried or are scared or need a little bit of direction in their life what would you kind of tell them I think one of the main pieces of advice I always give to people and I've said it a few times recently it's just be kind but not just to other people to yourself I think that element of self-compassion is really important and that's an element that I really hammer home and I think will be something that I'm just going to research more on and become sort of the thing I talk about the most is that within mindfulness you have that or as within self-compassion you have mindfulness and within mindfulness you have self-compassion and I think that's hugely important to you progressing but also you getting what you want but actually realizing what you actually want as well and I find this a lot with clients is that people come to me and they want to lose weight but then they want to resolve their like body image issues and instead of going right we'll lose weight and that'll solve everything we'll go right let's let's look at the way you talk to yourself and the way that you view yourself and I think me and you might have discussed this as well that mindfulness doesn't just like if you practice mindfulness and self-compassion within your nutrition or like within your lifestyle it floods out into other areas of your life as well and it almost becomes a bit like a bit more zen and buddhist in a way that like the way you behave and the way you view things the way you react all become to not totally different but affected by those things that you do on a daily basis um what is it the the people what people do often what people do some of the time is what they do all of the time or mm -hmm. how people do some things is how they do everything and i think if you're compassionate and like kind in your actions from the get-go i think a lot only good things will come from that um second piece of advice oh, i don't know i don't know if i can top that um, that was that was deep yeah but well, that's what she said but um <laughs> Oh, I should the, have anticipated that. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like a non-nutrition advice potentially. I think just appreciating everything a bit more comes along with self-compassion, but like yeah. being practicing gratitude and stuff. You don't have to write it down. All this sort of potentially woo-woo stuff is becoming a lot more mainstream now which is brilliant um and like i'm almost trying to break the stigma a little bit around men doing these things because i think that's really important Make it's not benefit. something that you hear many rugby players talking about <laughs> just yeah, mindfulness and self-compassion yeah about talking about your feelings and being kind and stuff but mindfulness is really actually common i was reading some research on it and when players are in the zone that is actually a form of mindfulness so when you're oh. practicing close skills or anticipating or controlling your breathing when you've just finished a tough conditioning session, actually focusing on your breathing and deep breaths is actually a form of mindfulness. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? That is actually really cool. I'd never thought about it like that. Because, yeah, after you've trained hard, you do have to focus on your breathing. Yeah, and that deep breath, and it's almost in the same pattern as that, um, that box pattern, isn't it? It's like five seconds in, five seconds five hold, seconds five, five seconds out. Seconds out yeah so it's it's almost in that pattern and um yeah so this i've been doing so much reading on sort of self-compassion mindfulness it's like a rabbit hole but i love it because there's like two main researchers that i like and it's dr paul gilbert who 
he's based at Derby University, actually. So I'm going to see if there's any sort of public speak, speaking going on. And mm-hmm. I'd love, he wrote the book, the, uh, the Compassionate Mind. And he's also, he's like done so many other books as well. And then Kristen Neff is the other one who's American and she's um, self-compassion based as well. And yeah, it's, this, we could talk all day, me and you talk all day all the time anyway. We do about just random bits of nutrition and it tangents yeah. and spirals and yes. And I think, oh, my other bit of advice I think I said this somewhere else as well, is that potentially two, two ways to go with this. The time in the gym and that you spend on your nutrition is to make the time not with your nutrition or your training better. So don't make your training and focusing on your diet your whole life. That's there to benefit the rest of your life. So looking at it from a perspective of, there's more to life than training and nutrition in a way and maximizing those areas is fantastic but actually making sure that they're having positive impacts outside of those areas as well is really important because that's where you actually live your life oh i really Uh, like that yeah and it was like what was it your lifestyle and nutrition should fit what is it your training and nutrition should fit into your lifestyle not the other way around that's the way to look at it as well i definitely agree with that having been a person who made lifestyle fit around training and nutrition 100 percent. so we I... we are coming up on the hour um so i can't believe we've already talked for that long so i'm gonna ask you now where can people find you and what can people do if they want to be coached by you um you can find me particularly or i'm mainly on instagram under louis p dot nutrition so that's l-o-u-i-s p dot nutrition or you can find me on Facebook under Louis Padian Nutrition. Um, should we get those lined up? But it's um, L-O-U-I-S, Louis, and then P-A-D-I-A-N on um, nutrition. And then if you want to work with me, just drop me a message. First of all, I check out uh, my content and check that it's sort of you agree with it. I think that's really important or this is something that you're interested in. I do... I do work with athletes and things like that, but it's a holistic approach. Um, and potentially if you are looking for, I don't know, a non-emotional based nutritionist who just wants to look at X's and O's, I'm probably not that person. And I don't really, that doesn't, I know that's a bit of an anti-thing that I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't work with me. If you want to talk to me, I can point you in the right direction of a health and performance nutritionist or sports nutritionist. I know, um, but like my game is if you want to improve your relationship with your body, with food, with others, um, if you want to improve your composition alongside that and your sports performance, then we can work on that. Um, but yeah, just drop me a message on Instagram. We can go from there if you want to get in, if you want to work together. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure people will get a lot out of that. And there's a lot of stuff that even I kind of didn't know about, especially about your early rugby career in there. So that was amazing. Um, so thank you very much and say goodbye to the listeners Louis thank you very much guys and thanks for listening and I'll speak to you all soon bye